For over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home for the NFL Sunday ticket, the only way to get every live game every Sunday. Good news, NFL fans, DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or are an enrolled college student, now you can get NFL Sunday ticket without a satellite. To see if you are eligible, go to online to nflsundayticket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season and follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code RINGER at checkout to save another 10%. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio... The crown tattoo was a great idea. It's Andy Greenwald. To be fair, I the got it. The king stays the king. I got it on the producer's side, so Isabella can see it, <laughs> which I think means she respects me more. Yeah. yeah. How you doing, man? I'm okay. I'm okay. A lot of content last night from you guys, from the from culture the machine. Yeah, man. From uh, the political political sphere a lot to process today was there a lot of political sphere commentary i I thought you want to do a hot wiener pod oh no i i don't want to i don't want to delve into that necessarily that's fine i want to see the documentary even more though now i want to talk about the night of i want to talk about the night of too i do think because as we're pulling back the curtain i think people should know that we've now created a speaking of the night of and call of the wild (laughs) there's kind of a jack london situation on the watch (laughs) podcast now because now it's like whichever old wolf gets to the studio first Gets to gets to sit in this seat. Yeah, that's why I'm a little thrown off. I'm back in the. <laughs> I know you ba- look back under the spotlight. Your body language right now is a little bit like you're hunted. <laughs> How's that feel? Um, Night of came to a conclusion last night. Yes, hour and forty five minute episode about mm-hmm. right hour thirty seven. It was like yeah. Um, it was it was a long episode. It was long, and I feel like the the general consensus was. That was weird. Is that what we do now? That was a weird... Uh... We, we, we just take consensus? Well, no. I'm try- trying to just Come base on. it off of like whether or not I feel like people were satisfied with the ending of the, sh- of the show. Do you want to know if I was? That's exactly why you're here. I was super satisfied. Okay. I was really surprised how satisfied I was. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole length and breadth of this episode. It was uh-huh. very long. And here, here is my, here, here's my, my take on this. When we were talking about the season as it was going along, we both were coming at it from a very particular point of view, which is, which was kind of, we were being realists. We were saying all of the ambition and artistic um, feints that we saw in the beginning naturally become, as you put it, a game of Clue. Mm-hmm. Mysteries, you know, you, 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 these things start very, um, I'll say it, ambitiously, but ultimately they become whodunit or an episode of Law and Order. And we're, we were fine with that because that is the method that we've seen through a lot of British crime shows. And I think we were okay with it. And we were mostly, I, I went into this assuming I would be a little bit disappointed with the reveal because I assumed we were headed towards a reveal. Yeah. And and that would be that because, you know, wh- one of the things that I, we certainly talk about on the show and one of the things that I am constantly fascinated by and even write about a little bit in things such as the book that you're always reminding me to finish is that... Um, the, finish the long <laughs> fair point the long arc of television shows bends towards them becoming television shows yeah of course what, what i what i mean is and that's not i usually say that as a good thing like you know the pilots of shows are when people have big dreams big questions you take great aesthetic risks but ultimately tv sort of normalizes you have to have and we're talking about this and we've been there talking are, about mr robot TV rules for a reason because you have to sustain something over long term, things have questions inevitably have to be answered. Things become a little formulaic because, if we're being honest, we like formula. We find formula comforting and worthy of returning to week after week. 
And so that was kind of the dynamic that I was prepared to bring to the night of because I thought that's where you were headed. Yeah. And what really surprised me is that it didn't really do that. In the end, they pulled up the nose of the airplane, so to speak, and pointed back up towards the bright sun. It was artistic again at the end and a little bit ambiguous. And it was a much richer project because of it. Yeah. There, there are very few, even contained limited series that when you reach the end, make me feel even better about the journey we went on. And this did that for me because it ended with these moments of art, um, of artistry, of ambiguity, and of emotion that wasn't necessarily resolution, but we settled into it and we stayed there. I think that you're on to something there. I mean, obviously, we've been talking for a lot of the weeks that the show has been on about the show's relationship to what we consider traditional crime fiction, whether it's novels, but specifically the TV shows like you're talking about, Law and Order. And I think that we had sort of imagined it as a, like a, a slightly like mischievous relationship or perhaps yeah. a formally inventive relationship. And I heard these two old hands, Steve, Steve Zalian, one of like Hollywood's most respected and, and uh, sought after screenwriters, mm-hmm. Richard Price, one of the great crime fiction authors of the last like 30 years, basically. Mm-hmm. And that they would kind of toy around with some conventions, but at the end of the day, create an incredibly satisfying thing. And I know that they started this project several years ago before things like Serial and Making a Murderer and even mm-hmm. True Detective Season 1 became these sensations where people felt like the water cooler conversation about these products were about like who done it. I'm going to investigate this myself basically even if it's a piece of fiction, I'm going to piece together screen sa- like screenshots and like look at clues. And then in the last two episodes, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like they turned around and they were like, no, the show's not about crime shows. It's about people who watch crime shows. Hmm. And I I think that's it was it was amazing. Like I think when I realized what was happening in the last 15 minutes of that show, yes. I was like, this has been basically like a critique of me. You know, because I am somebody who loves crime shows. I am somebody who's like frankly quite obsessed with, you know, the the morality and the what it says about our like us as a society and, and the kind of red meat whodunit stuff so in the sense that you were hungry for resolution and surprise and the and the the, the ticking of the boxes that that give us satisfaction when we watch crime shows yeah i think that what happened was it started for me in episode seven in the beginning the first scene after the credits is detective box comes across a black woman who's been murdered yes there is a it's a throwaway scene where he just says how come this is the very a very similar murder to andrea cornish where are all the news trucks and the other detective is just like this is just a typical homicide uptown this, you know, is, this, this isn't the upper west side this is right a, he was just kind of girl. like welcome you know he's like you know why and that's it it leaves it and then it goes forward and then at the end of the episode box realizes oh i've i, I think i'm wrong i think it, i think it might be somebody else who committed the yeah. every cornish murder and you're like oh nas is gonna this is great. We have like a, a like a sliver of light. And he then nods as the accomplice in another murder. And that murder is shot in a way and presented in a way that is easily the most viscerally gripping. The end of last week's episode. The end of last week's episode. And then I just started thinking about all the little things that they've been peppering throughout this series. Everybody's always watching a crime show. Everybody's always watching the first 48 or a Judge Judy kind yeah. of show or something like that. People are commentating on what their character typically would do. Yeah. They're talking about like 
you know, you don't have to be right. You just have to convince them that they are wrong. You know? How about all the stuff in the witness stand last night when people kept turning to the judge being like, I can do that, right? right. That's not can right, Can I right? say Fifth Amendment? Because you know they've I mean? been watching enough crime exactly. shows to know the role they can and can't play. And then what happens when, when Helen is, is exa- cross-examining Nas? And she, first of all, Shouts holy shit, that was an incredible scene. They cast these actors who are patient. Yeah. And... That often means that they're veteran actors because they are waiting for their chances to shine. And, you know, Michael K. Williams had very little to do in this episode, but what he did was brilliant. But in other episodes, he had a ton to do. Yeah. Jeannie Berlin, throughout the season, I was wondering, why did they cast her? She's such an odd presence. She's such an, people have seen her in movies for years, but yeah. maybe not recently. It was for this. It was to get to this episode. Yes. And that's cross-examination scene. And the way she took her time and owned the screen because she wasn't going anywhere. And she didn't need, have anywhere else to be. No. She was there for that scene. And what was she saying in that scene? She was saying, even if you didn't do it, yeah. you did it. Yes. Well, think about think about the other moment. I thought you were about to say this, this, this sliver of light for Nas. Um, it appears in the previous episode, but this is the week where Box finds the guy who probably did it. Goes to. What are you waiting for? You put fucking cuffs on you? Or are you like, were you waiting for me yeah. to put cuffs on you? Get the fuck out of and here. And then like, goes to the DA, goes to Helen, and is like, I think this is the other guy. And she looks at it and she looks at the evidence. Oh, and, and says, that face she makes. And she's like, I think we got more on the kid. Right. Her job is, she, her job is she's to close also cases. Like, she's also like, the, it's it's the face you make if when you realize you've driven 45 miles the wrong way on yeah. a highway. It's also the face you make when you realize you've been doing this for 40 years and you have a pair of of uh, tennis shoes under the table ready to put on the second you can take off your pumps. Right. And that scene alone, like I know we, we sort of got away from, from belts and mini belts and I think Stranger Things held it for the summer, but a tiny little doll belt yeah. for the show for that moment. That was an incredible detail and the kind of detail we championed in the first two episodes Absolutely. and I didn't think there would be room for it at the end. But of the all these things about... I think that this show is just basically about challenging our ideas about what what we what mysteries are and what mm-hmm. these murders and crimes are. And there's been a lot of really legitimate criticism of the show for basically giving Andrea Cornish no agency in this show. That 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 well, and Chandra got fucking run up the that, river. Yeah, no, and uh, but everybody is. I mean, at the end of the yeah. at the end of the show, John, everybody is basically at the same place or worse off than they well, were when the show. But, started. but let's think about specifically the Chandra example. You know, Stone and Glenn Headley's character, his name, who turns out to be just the coldest, coldest uh, ice cube in the tray. Alice, I think is the character's name. They keep berating her for being young and for being inexperienced. And she, like many young and inexperienced people, wants to prove that she is not. But you can't prove that you're not inexperienced. And the biggest mistake she makes is she confuses not guilty with innocent. Mm -hmm. Specifically, she doesn't think Nas killed... Andrea and I think for many of us in the audience unless those of us who are expecting a kind of you know um, a, a, a clever twist thought he didn't do it but the brilliance of the closing statement by uh, John Stone is that he lists the crimes they did commit sure. so she thinks that he's innocent of this crime and therefore he is some sort of hero or some sort of good guy who's been railroaded and as we've learned of these last few episodes he's he's not exactly that either. but he even even in that closing state it's the same thing so she's saying that helen says to nas during the, the her cross-examination even if you didn't do it you did that you, you let her die let, and yeah. stone says in his closing argument what's what's reasonable doubt mm-hmm. it's just what you think mm-hmm. and we imagine these things because they're attached to these documents like the constitution to be 
absolutely permanent or, or ob- yeah, exactly. And they're not. And it's the, it's that idea that everything that matters is redacted because it's inside somebody's head. Yeah. And it's inside our heads that we have these ideas of guilt and innocence and this and that and justice. Sure. What was justice? I mean, that, that's... this guy's addicted to, to painkillers or heroin or whatever it is. And he's smoking alone his, by himself. His, in this... his relationship with his family is destroyed. His yeah. future is potentially destroyed. Um, the best case scenario is to take John Stone's advice, which is to say, fuck it, and then maybe end up in 30 or 40 years not wearing shoes. I mean, that's not really working out that great for him either. I think we talk about the fact that it, it left us with ambiguity. Some of the, I think one of the more amazing things pulled off by this show that really elevated it, the whole, the whole series to my, in my mind, was the way that Price and Zalian pulled off this finale mm-hmm. because they there was one suspect left. First of all, we know from crime fiction and from television shows that if they were going to pin the blame on someone else, it had to have been someone we had met by now. And that's one of the hardest things to do in any kind of TV show. Right. I didn't see I didn't think about the financial advisor. I didn't I didn't see that coming. To his credit, Jason Gallagher, one of the uh, our buddy who works uh, for the Ringer, he he had said on Friday, he's like it's the accountant. I just want everybody to know. Did did he did he did he mail that to himself in a stamped letter? He like, did, did send he... it to me. I have Slack. That's impressive. Proof. So I didn't see that coming. I'm no Jason Gallagher, but <laughs> and, uh, maybe it's because I'm not invited. I'm not on Slack with you guys. I think that's the real the real issue here. You would do great on Slack. Uh, I think I could really crush on Slack. <laughs> I think I really could. I got some more Speedman takes in the hopper. Um, the so I didn't see that coming, but it was dealt with so deftly to the point where we get it. We get just enough of it. But it doesn't become the story of the last episode. Yeah. It is not a whodunit. It never was. But we had that little bit of that satisfaction. I think that was pretty impressive. Similarly, we were talking about patience of these performances and these actors. Like Bill Camp, a little bit on the sidelines for a couple of weeks, just lurking, but with this incredible presence. Some of his best work to date in this episode, wearing that ridiculous golf outfit, getting to flex one last time. Right. With the whiskey and seeing and the, and seeing the killer everywhere he looked because it was just the back of somebody's head and just like one he had to he had to know and then he he cracked his last case but everyone in the office tells him to get out and at the end he's a schlub wearing an NYU security jacket because he just needs another job and it's almost as if him caring makes that other detective feel like you're saying I'm a bad detective because you're caring because you care too much yeah so I wanted to talk a little bit just to. To kind of drive home the point I'm making here about the cat at the end, mm-hmm. um, which was a very odd and I think pointed way of ending the series, right? Because the cat had and the cat had become kind of like this viral sensation and or or just like a fan favorite, I think, of people just being like, Look, "Is he gonna like what's gonna happen to the cat?" Sir Pounce has to work in the off season. Yeah, but that extended shot of stone's apartment yeah where you're like waiting and you're waiting and is the what's happening and is this just going to be a slow fade out on this guy's tattered life and then the cat runs across at the last second and i'm sure lots of people i know firsthand were like oh thank god thank god the cat's still alive after yeah. the aspca ad and yeah. after everything but why do we like that's what we're caring about i think that was- you know what i mean that's like at the end yeah. like it's it's playing on how much we are open to manipulation yeah well also i think it was in its in its harshest light which is a light i like very much mm-hmm. um you know it, it it was a timely reminder of something that i've seen floating around the internet a lot recently which is you know if syrian refugees were puppies people would care more 
Right. People get weirdly invested. And I'm sorry, I said weirdly. I'm not a pet owner. But they get very invested in animals, much more than people. And we have seen, as you mentioned, Andrea Cornish, the other the other um, victim last week. We see these bodies. We see these characters who are neither bad nor good, but are our protagonists, our avatars, just basically flipping through gory, grisly crime scene mm-hmm. photos, like they're just on like flipbook on their iPad or whatever. And uh, we care about the cat. And that's what we care about. Yeah. And I, I, I like that it left us with a moment that for some viewers might be a rare ray of sunshine or a ray of hope. But I think for people more um, sunk into this type of storytelling, this type of world. Well, I, I feel like the, I saying. just felt like it was really confrontational. I, I actually felt like yeah. at the end, the show was quite confrontational about about the audience, about our relationship to crime, about our relationship to this world that we would prefer to experience through documentaries and uh, reality shows it, and and, fic- it, and fictional shows than actually grapple with. Yeah, and, and, there, and it didn't give us anything to, to latch onto other than that intentionally. Yeah. If you think about in less, in less sure hands, this could have been a hero narrative about John Stone coming off the sideline, proving himself after being disrespected, getting better, getting it together. But he didn't want to do the closing mm-hmm. argument. He And at the end of this, he is no better or no worse. He's not rich. He's not famous. He didn't. He's not Perry Mason. He's just sipping his, I don't know how many beer of the evening, taking a couple extra sips, watching bad TV before he has to go back out. Yeah, and it's, it's the old lesson of, of Wire Season 3. It's people like Bunny and Stringer yeah. who try to change things or maybe get emotionally invested yeah. in the outcome of something like Chandra. Like it's just, you get crushed and, by that and, you and get chew, chew, chewed up and spit out. And what currency does he have? What is he rich with? He's rich with knowledge that like he's right when he tells Chandra that he's, she's going to lose the potentially, obviously he didn't lose the case, but that she's essentially going to lose the case for him by calling Nas and it would be a mm-hmm. dreadful mistake. Yeah. He's and right. Nas is like, yeah, do that. But he's right that it was a mistake, but what does he get out of that? Very little. I do have to say, of the only real disappointment I had last night was the callous treatment of Dr. Yi. I think that I think that John Stone made a serious mistake, first of all, going to Canal Street, because I have a lady out in Bushwick who will get you some so stuff. So now all of a sudden it's it's like we're gonna go back and we're gonna revise how it's it's not so it's not Chinese herbs, it's Dr. Yi himself. You don't think maybe it was like he was having an emotional reaction to having his, I, his emotional I, balance was gone with yeah, the cat. Yeah, I, I would say he was not also using the product correctly <laughs> in that moment. In the sense he was <laughs> inhaling it without water? Yeah. Well, yeah. without water part. Actually, I was told that's preferable, but it's not exactly pleasant. It's oh a little, little gritty How could you even get texture. it down? I don't. I don't. I mix, it, I mix it with water, you know. But I think that he was, he, he in, a, in a frantic moment, he was reaching for a lot of different lifelines. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, I don't know if we should go in this direction, but I think a lot of medicine, Eastern and Western, is psychological. And it's really about your mind state and what you believe. Really interesting look from you today. So, pet ownership is is a is a collective <laughs> lie. Pet ownership is a, is a crutch. And me- medicine is basically psychosomatic. It is a ba- I mean, I just feel like there's a healthy balance between the two traditions of okay. medicine. I think things are at their best when they're balanced. Like you can like a between pe- the two traditions, or Eastern between and just like grinning and grinning and bearing. No, between Eastern medicine and Western medicine. Okay. I think similarly between liking animals and valuing the fact that we are humans and that you know we're in the human race i'm just saying r.i.p your mentions i'm just saying i i think i think a healthy balance is important in all things including uh television seasons and i think that that's why i'm very happy that this wrapped up couple final questions for you about yeah the sure show. yeah yeah um now that the season is over I, I i opened up my own um 
uh, flip book of grizzly crime scene photos. I thought you were going to say herb store. <laughs> well, do you want my long-term plan out here yeah. in California? People are more amenable to my way of thinking, I think. Um, <laughs> you going to get a dumpling place going in the basement, too? A dumpling place and, <laughs> first of all, very different traditions, Chris. Both yeah. Eastern. But, I know. Um, I, <laughs> no, I, I opened up Wikipedia. And I looked at uh, Criminal Justice Season 1, which is the show this was based on. Yeah, so spoilers, I guess. I, I know what you're going to say here, but I, well, a couple things. anybody's like, i got to watch Criminal Justice now. One, the god Ben Wishaw was the star. Yeah. I did not know that. And your man David Harewood was in it. A lot of our men and women were in it. But CIA. Because, because there are only... Homeland CIA chief. David there are Harewood. only 17 actors in the United Kingdom. It's crazy. But first of all, that makes me want to see it because this dude uh, is a dude from London Spy. He's from... Um, the, the James Bond movies. He's a fantastic actor, mm-hmm. and I would love to have seen what he was doing with it. But Star- he's starring in The Crucible on Broadway on the Great White Way right now. I, I don't. Where is that? Is that near here? <laughs> um, I, but what was interesting to read about it was that it it seems v- it, people have watched. If you watch any of it, I have not. It strikes me as very very less. It, it it strikes me as very different project than this one. It mm-hmm. seems more of a piece with the kind of. Hmm, scratch your chin and, and grab your couch crime procedurals like Broadchurch that we were talking right. about. It was only five episodes. It did not seem to, and again, I could be wrong, come from the same like hard-boiled tradition that Richard Price comes from. It did not seem to play with issues of of, of race and politics the way this one did. Um, also, I guess what I'm saying is it seemed a lot less interesting than than this. And I wonder if that's why. There's a very unique credit on this show because it was adapted it was based on yeah. something else and peter yet, moffat right peter moffat yeah peter, but this the credits for this show for the night of says created by steve zalian and richard price mm-hmm. the the acrobatics to get that i haven't seen criminal justice shoemaker david shoemaker was saying he watched it and he was struck by the similarities actually so I, i'd be interested to check it out it does seem like a couple things overlap including the the chandra stuff oh okay. um but it seems to be a little bit more at least you know, the bards of Wikipedia might, you know, might not have captured the exact uh, emotional tenor of the show, but... You should, as a, just a side project, be like a Wikipedia entry polisher. Just go through mm. and add a little bit of flair. What makes you think I haven't done that? <laughs> should we should we give a shout out to our friend out here, Brian, whose greatest claim to fame was um, editing the Property Brothers Wikipedia every week to, to make it so that the two Property Brothers were just brothers named Jonathan Property. Jonathan and Richard Property or whatever. And he kept in, he's now banned from so, Wikipedia for Someone that. did that? He was unemployed for a while, I think. That was what he was doing. Holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. What a bit. Um, last thing I want to ask you about it. Do you want a season two? And if you did, in what framework would it take? Would it be a John Stone takes on another case framework? Or would it be a I don't true want, detective? I don't want to know what happens to these people. Me either. Nope. I think that would be a real like step backwards i think the whole point of how this ends is to really like throw the ball back to the viewer and be like look what happens see like see like it's and we we don't do that anymore i know we don't do that anymore here's the thing take advantage of the fact that there's no more i was i was very gratified to to hear the the voice on hbo say and now the series finale of night of look the the point the point of Nas as a fictional creation is so that he would end there. Yeah. The place his life essentially did end. And yeah, I love the ambiguity looking of over the water. maybe he gets clean and he's okay and he and his family move out of that neighborhood or that house or whatever and things work out. People Probably not. Generally, the way storytelling has gone, we, we've gotten away from the fact that one of the most powerful things you can do is walk away. You leave us with something. Yeah. That, and that was certainly on TV, that's not as common. And so I appreciate that. I, I think that... 
uh, we were getting a bunch of tweets this week being like, was this supposed to be True Detective season three, but the brand was tarnished or whatever, because it felt like, yeah, but to, to that point, you know, I, I, I think that HBO is clearly very much in the business of um, highbrow crime procedurals and investing in people. Anybody like, who's seen After the Thrones knows that's they, the case. Well, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for saying what I felt too modest to say. But, you know, any network that is investing in Richard Price to this degree or Dennis Lehane or these other characters, you know, or the people who are working on um, David Simon mm-hmm. and, and Pelicanos, they're working on The Deuce. Um, and Price. That's what they're in. Price is on the writing staff for that, too. And Megan Abbott is on the staff for that show. This is what HBO is. They, they do this stuff. Yeah. So wh- whether it's all one thing or an anthology series is sort of beyond. It's not the point. So I whether, think it, whether all I'm saying is sorry. So if there is, regardless of whether there is a The Night Of season two, there will be more The Night Of's. Yes. I think that they, I, whether or not, Azalean has said that he thinks that it could be something that, that gets replicated. Um, but I think that what we're being sort of taught by these limited series is that people do envision these things as eight episodes. Broadchurch should have been just the few episodes of the first season. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, it's true detective. It people, there were parts of the second season that were like cool, but I think that as a eight episode thing, true detective was just, I really liked it. I didn't need that to feel do, like, do you want to know how I felt about it? Um, is there, is, do you have any <laughs> links you could send me? About? Um, on, there's a website, twitter.com. Okay. Slash Andy Greenwald. <laughs> I didn't say it. You said it. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back talk about the VMAs and then we'll take off. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. I have the SeatGeek app right on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for Beyonce tickets. She'll be in LA in September. I cannot wait. With SeatGeek, you'll never need to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does that for you by pulling in all tickets available on other sites and putting them in one place. So you save time and you never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, listeners to The Watch get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to settings and click add a promo code, and then enter promo code WATCH. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code WATCH. Okay, uh, Andy, let's talk a little bit last, a little bit about last night's MTV Video Music Awards. Big fan, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, not in, not in like a bad way, but it's just it's not yeah. my bag. W- was it our bag? It was for a while, right? Nope. Like even in the Arsenio years. No, like twenty years ago. I don't like award shows. Wow, this is taking a turn. No, I just don't. I mean, I just think that they are now a spectacle i mean now I, because I, they used to have integrity i, I i'm not they, they don't have a this is sort of a bad way to start like a podcast segment it's just it's not really like i don't ever really enjoy myself watching an award show i always I find that i'm just like watching a car crash but there were a couple years of the vma because the vmas are so completely divorced from any cultural thing that people care about like videos i mean john caramonica our, our friend had a, a good piece in the times last week saying videos are actually kind of ascendant again they sort of yeah. matter visual albums and etc cetera, etc cetera. but it, essentially like nobody watches the video music awards to see like oh you know was the 
was the Dutch dude who directed the Chainsmokers vid properly right. uh, recognized right. for his work in the field. Like MTV, spoiler alert, doesn't play music videos anymore. So that's not the point. But what was interesting about them for a couple of years is they did seem like the annual temperature taking of a certain brand of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Who's up, who's down, who's feuding, who's whatever, who matters, and who can break through. That's a really good way of putting it. And that alone made them kind of interesting. I I think, you know, Night Up was on last night, um, so I didn't do the I didn't do the deep dive that perhaps in my younger days as a as a cultural um, argonaut I had yeah. to. But I think we both paid attention a little bit. We saw what was going Jason on. Jason and the bloggernauts, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's better trade. Say trademark Chris Ryan. <laughs> Have Jason Gallagher email you about that. Um, I think uh, I think the the general consensus is this was kind of a tire fire, but not even necessarily a enjoyable or noteworthy. Would you tire rather fire. watch something that is boring but very like well produced? I mean, I think the VMAs were very well produced, but. They were well produced to create a certain kind of atmosphere, which is one in which anything could happen. Whereas, like, so, say the Emmys and the Oscars are a little right. bit more buttoned well, up, but it feels like I mean, the Oscars are like four you, hours long. You so it's can't hard to... generate, you can't artificially generate viral moments. You simply cannot do that, right? right? And the VMAs at this point, that is essentially what they were trying to do when they were like, "We have invited Kanye to give him four minutes of time. What will he do?" Well, we know what he's going to do. He's going to talk. If you give him the time, he's not going to be crazy. Like, he's not going to surprise anyone. Right. It's It takes away the element of surprise. You, you can't right. create that. And I think that the problem with Last Night in many ways was that they sold out the, the other half of what the show could have been so spectacularly in pursuit of those moments. So I had a couple questions about things that happened last night that okay. I'm just going to hit you with. You can, can you confirm you have not seen these questions ahead of time? I have not seen the questions ahead of time. Can no. you confirm that you cannot remember the last time I prepared something in written text for our podcast. This is this is a little bit unnerving, but go ahead. <laughs> is it unnerving because you have your back to the door? Well, because I'm just so used to having this be like kind of a groundlings, no, yes can, and kind of thing. This is still know? that. This is still that. I did very little prep work. Okay. This is a notepad on my phone. Okay. okay. This is not like the Decameron, but <laughs> the Decameron. it's your favorite book. Chris, um, so one of the moments. Is that last how it's night, pronounced? I always thought it was Decameron. De, that's Decameron. <laughs> that's actually... That see, this is groundling stuff. If this was after hours, if this was a re-up, we could have chased that rabbit down the rabbit hole. Um, so there was this moment when Drake appeared to introduce Rihanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. who was being awarded for being Rihanna. Love both those people. Uh, I do uh, mostly, and he, you know, basically was like, "I love you. I have loved you since you were twenty. Since I was twenty-two. Yes. Um, and this is in the in the wake of like them being supposedly a couple, and, sure. she, and she and she basically. She basically like dabbed away from him, like yeah, would not. He give went him... in for the kiss, and she was like, "Give me the jaw jawbone kiss there," and also apparently mouthed. That wasn't funny, right? And he's like, "I am madly in love with you. You are perfection." And she was like, "You're short, basically, yes, right? Yeah, yeah." So I have a Drake question for you. Yeah, do you think we secretly like because we like Drake because we're short? <laughs> Speak for yourself. I've got at least an inch and a half on you if I stand on my tippy toes. Um, do we secretly like Drake because we all know he's trying too hard? That he's not fooling anyone? 
is that why we like him? Because the whole like recent Drake thing where he's like, he's gotten all swole, you know, and he's carrying himself a certain way and he's yeah. like sitting on top of the CN Tower in Toronto and he's being so serious about making serious music, but he's a fucking cornball. Yeah. Like he is the dude from Degrassi. He is a suburban Jewish kid that I can relate to. So do, do you- we like him for that reason? So when he does stuff like that, so that a lot of people does... are like, he caught an L. But actually, that is more emotionally vulnerable than when he's like, hmm, you know, I just, I don't want to spend time fighting, but I've never had a girlfriend, clearly. Like, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when he's just like, oh, I'm conflicted So you're strip more club. interested in him because he does the, like, fake Lloyd Dobler I, bit to I, Rihanna? I don't think, no, I'm not saying I'm more interesting, but I, what I'm saying is this. A lot of the coverage of Drake is that he's sensitive, right? He's mm-hmm. so sensitive. He's like, oh, I'm so conflicted at the strip club. But really, he's sensitive because he's clearly a grade A goober. Right. And maybe that's why we and many people like him. But so that's question one. And question two is, does he know that? He, I think, I am starting to think that they all know everything. (laughs) I am starting to think that everybody is totally aware of what they are doing and how it looks and how it's being perceived. And I think it's easier or probably a little less crazy making to assume that. And be surprised when somebody's like, oh, yeah, Taylor Swift has just no idea what's going to happen next. Right. It's like, no. Like, they all know. Drake knows. Like, he's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. He so it's knows all Machiavellian. what people are saying it's about him. It's all chess moving. Yeah, I think level. that basically what it is is that he probably thought that may, I, mean, I don't know what the state of his relationship with Rihanna is, but like, if she had, if, if Drake and Rihanna kissed that night. Right on stage it becomes like this huge deal and if they don't kiss it becomes a huge we're deal. talking about so it. what's the law what like what's the l to take there's no l i just think it was interesting that he did well i've been saying he seemed i mean you, i think you're taking the more cynical and probably accurate read on that but it would have been like if drake just gave a very competent and warm speech about rihanna and then got out of the way nobody would be talking about drake today i, I guess what i'm saying is what what part of drake do you find most compelling or charming literally the like literally the music right i mean but i'm also like way too old to care about like the meme part yeah i don't care about that either i just mean and i mean this in the best way possible i think one of the reasons why i like him and i almost i feel like i came to (gasps) terms with this last night is that he is such a poser yes and i mean that in a good way oh yeah because he is he's he's, he tries he's he tries really really hard he is a cultural chameleon and one of the reasons why he's had such this crazy run of success this year is because he brilliantly was like i'm going to reinvent myself as this glo- he's, a, he's a lot like taylor in that th- this globalist pop superstar i'm going sure. to pull together these threads that are happening not just in this country not just in canada but like all over the world and make a song like one dance which is probably the number one song in every country in the world so when he then is so when he's like flexing next to Khaled or, or rick ross i'm like that's awesome that that dude can mm-hmm. do that and of course it would all go away if he stopped selling records but okay so, all right that was question number one okay how are we doing so far we're doing great um is not showing up you mentioned her so i'm going to this question next is not showing up last night the smartest thing taylor swift's ever done in her career yes did you see that she was apparently on jury duty <laughs> yes yes not only was she on jury duty for, for what i believe was Nas's trial <laughs> you imagine she stood up there like does, does my jury how's my jury doing <laughs> yes yeah. taylor swift stood up it was like funny story um not only was she doing jury duty she was like patiently taking selfies with everyone else during voir dire, which I don't think you're supposed to do, nope. but it's cool. It's a good way to get yourself off a Aren't jury. Aren't you supposed to just, they literally say, like, don't use electronic devices. But I think they also say, like, don't be a global superstar who will influence everyone's behavior yeah, how, in this courtroom. Who, what, were the lawyers just, like, cool Taylor Swift? Was she, 
waiting to get jury assigned or was she actually on a jury? I haven't spent that much time on Tennessee legal blogs recently. Right, so I don't you're know. you're too busy rewriting Wikipedia pages about criminal justice. I'm too busy <laughs> writing questions to prepare for our podcast. But, you know, the, speaking of performative, performed L's that I don't care about too much, Taylor Swift took one, I would say, right mm-hmm. recently. Um with the the Calvin Harris stuff and then the the the, the Hiddle Swift stuff, which just seems too phony for words, even for someone who is generally pretty phony. Not showing up though is why she's a genius, I think, because I think she saw going in that it's a shit show. She saw going in that no one is going to win on Beyonce's night. You cannot lose if you do not play. I think that's right. Is that something you said on After the Thrones? <laughs> no, it's something because like... I don't listen to most of that. <laughs> it was from it's, it's another wire quote. So I'm really turning into an old white man. I'm just like, <laughs> you remember that part on the because, wire? <laughs> no. Th- then next week you're like, you know, season two was the best season of the wire. That's the <laughs> oldest, whitest opinion there is. Okay. Um, so agree. Th- Taylor Swift not going is the right move. There is nothing she could have done. We have the data. There's no sample size that needs to be bigger. She would have just fucked it up. Okay, so the follow-up question to that, and bear with me here, is showing up and just laughing and having a good time and dressing like a Super Mario brother the smartest thing Chance the Rapper could have done? Because he is this bright spark of creativity and everyone feels wonderfully about him and everyone's excited to see him and he became he became a meme himself and Beyonce hugged him, but he didn't contribute. He was basically there. Like, when I watched the parts of the show that I watched, which was not all of the parts, right. I was like... You dum-dums, you have a real star there, and he's not even on stage, and he kind of comes out looking like a million dollars for it. Yeah, I think that actually we are kind of hitting a point with with Beyonce where you just shouldn't try. Yeah. When it, especially when it comes to like putting on a live performance, because if, if she's going to get 25 minutes and a blank canvas... You, you, Britney got X'd out by doing that. Yeah. Like, that is one like, this one was thing that was like, her night. pretty obvious was that like they had... There, there was obviously, I would imagine, like separate paths of negotiation about who would be there and who yeah. would perform and stuff like for that. For sure. And I think everybody probably like likes Britney, but it was like, that was a tough look for her to, to go on after that. Yeah. That and is... to perform a song nobody knew. And to perform a song with G-Eazy. With... First of all, I just want to... Who the fuck is G-Eazy? I've never... I feel pretty lucky that I don't know what a G-Eazy is. I don't know what a 21 Pilot is either. I'm cool with these decisions I've made in my life. Yeah. But I felt bad about that. I mean, I don't understand... I still think I'm missing something with with the Britney because the effect the affection the Britney affection now seems she seems like she's in the perfect place because she's Vegas and the affection for her seems very Vegas. It is people have this love this protective fierce love for her because she got chewed up and spit out by this awful celebrity machine no doubt. Mm-hmm. But the affection for her now seems purely camp. Not that she didn't have good songs, but they but people love her because she's been through the ringer um no no shouts to your <laughs> website. Um but do you know what I mean? Like, very little of it, if it ever was, is about, like, oh, I can't wait to hear that new Britney banger, or I've right. always loved her songs and her artistic oeuvre. So right. I think she's she's fine. Like, she's in the right place. So to bring her back into the lion's den in that way did not seem fair. I think that it's... This is why I think Beyonce is not only is she a unique artist, but she's sort of unique as a cultural icon is because yes. she is... You cannot really prepare for that. No. So I'm sure given Britney's longstanding, her standing as a long-running artist, that this the ramp up to this 
album rollout and the singles or whatever has been like pretty well considered but just like everybody else whose record came out around lemonade or anybody else who tried to mm-hmm. do anything around that and anyone else who was trying to perform last night I mean, tellingly kanye did not perform I, that even though he brought out san pablo like the tour yeah. is is by all accounts awesome like the his live his live show right now is very very dope you're you're keying up exactly what i wanted to ask so um the i i feel like for what they were trying to what what mtv wanted for this evening to to pull off moments that they wanted to mm-hmm. create artists needs to be able to do a, a musician needs to be able to do hit three different points on the tri- i was gonna say quadrants that's bad math three different points on the triangle yeah sure you need to be able to bring spectacle artistry and surprise i think there are only two artists contemporary artists and i want to know if you think of anyone else who can do that consistently and it's beyonce and kanye yeah now, i'm not even saying that because obviously we are big stands for I both think, of them i think that you i i would suggest you could make it a quadrant because i think Ooh. that the one thing that you have to have going into mm-hmm. spectacle artistry surprise is just um a, a something that people are already engaged with because I don't feel like we live in a world right now where you can be like, unless you are, I mean, I guess Beyonce is a little bit different, but you, unless you have an absolute hold, I guess Kanye and Beyonce are the, 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 the exceptions to the rule. You can't go out and perform a new song at an award show. Right. You can do a medley. Maybe Adele could do hello. Well, well Kanye, like when he came out and did Love Lockdown eight years ago now, like. You- and Runaway. He, he does new songs yeah. he, because he brings all those things and people are so excited to see him do it. Um, the one, I think the most damning decision they made last night, and it really did surprise me, is they had no sense, this sounds like a very old white man thing to say too, but bear with me because it's part of what, what we're arguing for. There was no, there were no tributes to, to David Bowie or Prince. And both of those artists, not only were they huge parts of MTV, but they were artists who hit those three points or four points every time they came out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why there wasn't someone basically at Viacom beginning the, the day those people passed away trying to create the ultimate tribute. Well, to I think that they did, did, did they feel that that's for the Grammys is what maybe, I'm saying? Maybe, but they did. I mean, I think that MTV has done quite a bit to like celebrate. Oh, MTV both. did. Yeah. And the company did. I mean, the people who work at the VMAs. Why didn't someone have a desk being like, who can I get to contribute to this that would be meaningful and surprising and thus we could create a moment? Sure. Or was that two Grammys, you know what I mean, in the sense that Grammys look backward? Because the the other thing about this show, it didn't look, it surprised me, it didn't look backwards, but it also didn't look forward at all. And my final question for you, and this came from my a previous question, which I scrapped when I was workshopping the questions. Okay, yeah. Rob Sheffield wrote his usual annual great piece about reviewing the VMAs for Rolling Stone. And he mentioned that this year it was noteworthy that there wasn't even a 21 pilot. There wasn't even the honorary rock slot. There was no rock band yeah. at all. And so the first question is like, oh, is rock dead? It's like fucking obviously. But the real question is, um, is there any subculture left for a show like this to strip mine? Because I'm not saying like the old days were better, but I am saying that there used to be, I, I did think there were times when the MTV would use this stage and platform to grab something that was bubbling and basically turn on the tap. And sometimes that was cheesy, like the year, quote unquote, rock was back and they had the hives and the vines and the strokes playing. Yeah. Um, you know, there was the year that they invited Dashboard Confessional to come when emo was, was popping mm-hmm. off. Um, it was weird to me that the, quote unquote, unknown artists who were invited to the party were like g Easy or Chainsmokers who are completely faceless 
pop they superstars. They also have huge hits. Yeah. First yeah. of all, I ride for the Chainsmokers. Those songs are <laughs> fucking dope. But I don't want to see them on the award show, right. frankly. And when they were like, Halsey, I guess, because maybe Jimmy Iovine like, pushed the button and said, like, you really have to try to make this person the thing. Right. So, But instead of looking at it like cynically, like, are they missing things that are popping off on Vine or whatever or Bandcamp or God knows what? Is that even a relevant question to ask? In no, I think MTV, which was incredibly important to generations of people when we were probably in high school in terms of yeah. turning us on to new music, probably made that pivot around TRL to become the conduit of pop music and, Whether, conduit, and whatever and pop music means at that moment. But when we're talking about the idea of, of, of a, an event, that's really just like a platform for feuds and alliances yeah. and, and viral moments and stuff like that. That's like, in a lot of ways, it does exactly what it says it's going to do, where it is, this is where pop meets up to kind of go pop and like, I, like burst. I, I would say, I would take that a step further and say that the, the TRL So like, I don't moment, need Arcade Fire to, to play there or whatever the next Arcade no. Fire is going to be. I guess you're right. But it, it's a decision not to become the conduit for pop. It's the conduit for celebrity. Sure. Which follows closely behind. Right. And that's really what that award show is in the business of being. And and, and I, and I want to be clear because before that you were right. I didn't mean to be be that glib because, because MTV and MTV News and all these other aspects of the company are doing music coverage and doing great, great things. Yeah. I mean, specifically... The, the VMAs as this oh yeah sure no I was just but it, I just think it's like it's weird I think it's because we have such distinctive memories of finding out about I mean I didn't know who the Pixies were until I saw a Frank Black video on MTV yeah. probably you know when I was in high school and that is sort of what that idea of it being something that is revealing emerging culture. Is just really tough for them to compete with other things out there. I guess so. I guess what I want... And the music video is not the delivery system through which right. we find that stuff out I guess, But I, I guess it's hard not to go back to the, the hobby horse that we always like to, to, to ride, which is I, I, I wish there was a bench of bands who were ready for that stage. Rock bands specifically? I, I often think that way, but it doesn't have to be. Like I mean, Chance. Chance is the one that I was thinking of. Right. I think Chance is... The most exciting, the most optimistic, the biggest superstar. What's funny about this? And he could own that stage. I think you're right. And Chance is, Chance is amazing. But this was an argument or a conversation I feel like used to happen a lot when we both wrote or worked for Spin Magazine a long time ago, which you know, like even in the beginning of the 2000s, where it would be this idea about when someone was ready for this kind of amplification that would come with being in Spin, or you know, and and a lot there were a lot of things that went into that. But in some ways, wouldn't have been. It, it was great to see Chance there. Would it have been cooler to see Vince Staples perform? Yes. Would it have been riskier to see like Schoolboy and YG play there? I mean, like yes. they don't. It would have been awesome. But like that's the kind of thing that would that that wouldn't make any headway the way Chance being like I'm here and I'm so excited to be here. Designer being like I'm here and I don't have a shirt on. Like that's you're right. I mean, we're also at a point where the there was a moment in terms of cultural ubiquity where MTV was MTV and the VMAs were the VMAs, and it almost didn't matter what they did because the ratings were going to be what they were. So they could have said, someone in the C-suite of that company could have been like, Vince Staples and YG representing the West Coast and Schoolboy, like, we're going to do a or segment. Or Yachty and Lil Uzi Vert. We're going to do like yeah. a regional hip-hop thing, and we're going to basically do like the, the you know, the Cyphers, the, the, the BET Award Cyphers. We're going to do like the, the XXL freshman cover. We're yeah, just going right. to do that. 
they cannot do that in this ecosystem because every moment they're losing viewers and every moment they're not getting enough viewers. So what they need is Nicki Minaj to say something sideways to Miley Cyrus. Like that's what they need first mm -hmm. and foremost and anything else trickles down from that. So that's more of a comment on the, the larger media landscape yeah. than the show itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we got that all taken care of. I think of. we're done with the larger media landscape. I can't tell you how nice it is to see you prepared. It's just like... <laughs> it was good. You know, we're cutting down on the on the exasperated size when I start talking. That's good. I just have to keep them inside because you're <laughs> looking at me now. All right. Uh, we'll be back for a re-up later this week. Sure. I mean, it's just a... Tr I just, I just hop on the 101. All right. It's no big deal. Until then, thanks for joining us. Good job, Red Ski!